when you love somebody else, it means that you want the best for them, regardless of how it affects you, regardless if you receive anything in return. So the way to know whether you love somebody is whether you truly desire always for them to have goodness. It's who the person is and how they show up in the darkest of times. And that's really how you know you're compatible. And people don't actually go into relationships thinking that way. You're not thinking about the bad times or the difficulties or, or the challenges that will naturally occur in life. And when you go through those experiences with somebody and they show up, really show up for you, and you show up either as your best self or your worst self, that is really if you're truly compatible. And that also happens to be what true unconditional love is. If you really love somebody, you'll take the time and you'll do the effort to be there in the way that they need you to be. Welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, episode 51. Yay! Woohoo! Yeah! <laughs> Thank you for joining us. It's going to be a fun episode on love. We have called all the questions on, well, not all, but many that you have sent us on love and relationships and all things that come with it. And so it should make for a fun episode. Which reminds me, although this usually is the message we give at the end, Please keep sending in your questions. Does that mean you won't say it again at the end? I might. <laughs> but that's what said. we decided for this episode to take, well, we'll see how many we get to, but a list of questions that you've sent in over these months, and um, hopefully we'll get to as many of them as possible. So let's jump right into it. How do you define love? How do I define love? It's a very good question. Well, in the ultimate state, and this isn't just romantic love, Love is when you desire for somebody else to have goodness and blessings in their life. Right? When you really love, right? We're talking about self-love, but when you love somebody else, it means that you want the best for them, regardless of how it affects you, regardless if you receive anything in return. Right? There's an ancient phrase which is that true love is. It's called that which means that it's not dependent on anything. Unfortunately, most of what we in modern times think of, of as love is what we receive from, is at least involved in what we reciprocally receive in return from somebody else. So the way to know whether you love somebody is whether you truly desire always for them to have goodness. Which is hard to do when you're in a relationship because sometimes you wish right. not so great things. And also, you have your own. Often, if you're in a relationship, you ha you do have your own desires and needs that need to be met in a certainly in a romantic relationship. But I do think it's important, at least, to begin with uh, clarity in what true love means. True love is when you see somebody, you are filled with so much desire for them to have goodness. I think if we were to break it down in simple terms, there's ego-based love versus unconditional love, right? So ego-based love is rooted in anything where we feel our needs are met, right? A person makes us feel good or happy or beautiful or secure. Um, it's a lot of receiving, right? right. And, uh, and not a lot of giving, right, in terms of um, percentages or balance. Unconditional love quite simply, is loving somebody because they exist. Right. Just their, their existence alone is enough. And from that place, like you said, then wanting goodness for them, right? Wanting um, their happiness, right? That becomes a priority. 
And I think that for that shift to occur, because I think many relationships, especially if you're not rooted in a spiritual life or that's not like a, a pursuit or a priority, let's say, ego-based love, of course, is the first thing because we tend to go after things from the space of our five senses, right? That person looks good, tastes good, makes me feel good. It's very tastes much, <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah. Well, there are pheromones, right? Smell, all of our senses um, either make us appealing and also attracted to other people or not. So, and while that might be the the beginning of romance, it certainly cannot only be that. And it and that is just like I said, the beginning of of love. For a deeper love to emerge, there needs to be things like kindness and empathy and compassion, appreciation, appreciation, also a true foundation that's the same in terms of what's important in life. I th I think you I think you this is a very important point. I love when you say that to me. Yes. <laughs> because I think it's only natural for most people and I and I really wonder as you were talking how many people even conceive of the fact that love is not just about taking. Because I think most people, certainly if they are not living a spiritual life, but often even if they are, in relationships and in friendships, of course, of course, the place they go to is, what am I getting out of this? What will I get out of this? How do I feel? How does this person make me feel? How do they make me happy? It's, Which, by the way, is, is a necessary part of any well, it's a natural part, but also necessary, mm -hmm. right? Also necessary. But I think what what you're saying, what you bring to the point, which is so important, that for a relationship to be a true relationship, for a relationship to be one that can grow, there has to be a shift that occurs at some point in the relationship. Where hopefully both, but certainly if we're talking to ourselves, we ask ourselves the question: How much is my giving? A priority in this relationship. Right. The emphasis has to change for sure. Right. And that has to be a conscious choice. And by the way, a conscious choice that is made again and again and again. Because, and this is something, again, fundamental to spirituality, to understand that we we have two natures within us. One that is truly our nature, call it our soul, that really desires your good somebody else's goodness outside of ourselves. But there is what we call the body consciousness or the ego, which is just for me, just for me. And that is not something that can be switched on and off. That is a constant lifelong struggle, battle, however you want to phrase it, so that unless you are in any relationship that is important to you, whether it is a romantic one, whether it is a friendship, it is important to always be asking yourself the question, how much is my giving nature involved in this relationship? Because if it's not, if it's not, that relationship will not last. That relationship will not last. Well, I think it's so interesting too, because when you think about what makes people compatible, right? Again, it's usually rooted in the five senses. We like to hike. We we enjoy the same films. We have the same sense of humor. Um, we love travel. We love food, foodies, whatever it is, right? And I think that. Again, that is important and that is fun, but there needs to be something that we understand true compatibility to be. It's who the person is and how they show up in the darkest of times. 
And that's really how you know you're compatible. And people don't actually go into relationships thinking that way. You're not thinking about the bad times or the difficulties or, or the challenges that will naturally occur in life. And how will that partner fare for you? Or how will you show up for them in that time? And when you go through those experiences with somebody and they show up, really show up for you, and you show up either as your best self or your worst self, that is really if you're truly compatible. And that also happens to be what true unconditional love is. Interesting. I want to, again, great, great point, Monica. <laughs> and, and, and I do want to make sure we, we, we spend enough time focusing on that. Because, you know, even though it's part of the parlance of marriage, right, in sickness and in health, but the reality is that most people, probably even when they're saying those words, but certainly as they're thinking about their relationship, that's not uppermost in their in their thought, which is that what makes or breaks a relationship at some point is how willing, how desiring we are to be there for somebody in when, when we don't want to be there, when it's really uncomfortable, when it's really dark. But even... Kyle, even if we don't desire, it's more like how willing are we to be there for them in the ways that they need us to be. Exactly. And that's really key. I think very often, and this goes back to what the difference between ego-based love and unconditional love is, often we show up for the people that we really love, right? Whether it's a child or a parent or a, a spouse, and we show up in the way that we think they, they for what they need, based on what we think they need, right? We're not often seeing them hearing them, asking the question, how does this person really need me to be? What is it that they are trying to show me? What am I hearing? What am I seeing in them that they need me to show up for, right? And for that to happen, that again, that switch between ego, five senses, what am I receiving to what am I giving? What am I offering? That's how, and that's why a lot of relationships start to crumble when challenges occur, because this thing that we're talking about actually doesn't occur. I might be saying this throughout the, the, the <laughs> podcast, but that's another very important point that you touched upon. Because it's not just when it's clear that your friend, partner, husband, wife needs you, right? That's, I don't know for what to call it, the bare minimum, even though for many people it becomes a struggle to consistently be there when they're calling out for help, when they really need you. What you just said, which is really important, and this is, I think, another key to a real relationship, even to a friendship, is when you hear and really know where and how they need you. Even if you don't understand it, by the way, right? Sometimes the needs of the people we love are like, well, that just doesn't make any sense to me. They're in pain or whatever, and you might have like a brilliant solution to how to solve the problem. And if they won't listen to that one, then... Then I'm done with them. I'm not going to speak to... I'm going to take space, you know? We need a break or whatever it is, but... Right, but to be and, and the additional part is really to be almost almost like a like somebody, you know, a researcher or or, or somebody who wants to discover. Curious. Right. Curious. You know, what are the ways that I need to or want to or should be there, even in ways that aren't directly verbalized. But I feel I feel that, oh, he or she really needs me to be in this way. Right? Again, because I think we're saying at there is no relationship, really, and there is no friendship, really, if you're not there when they say they need you, right? Which, unfortunately, we've seen people just, for whatever reason, don't have the capacity, the desire, too selfish to really want to consistently be there when, when they're called to it by their friend, by their partner, by their spouse. But really, it's much more than that. 
it's really being curious to discover new ways that my friend or partner needs me. And by the way, this kind of curiosity creates a connection that actually paves neuropathways in your brain. And that that really creates a, a way that you are able to receive and share with one another that then becomes your go-to in those hard times. It becomes actually your very essence and your very being, and it becomes who you are as a couple. And I remember the first time I experienced this in our marriage. It wasn't in year one or two, three or four or five. It was in year seven. Because, and I and I speak very openly, when Josh was born, it, it, show, it put a bright light on many, many aspects of who I thought I was, who I thought I was as a, a woman, as just Monica, as your wife, as a mother. And I remember until that point in our relationship, I had a belief system that I was unaware of that I don't need to be that vulnerable to you. I don't need to tell you everything. And I certainly don't want to rely on you or depend on you because, you know, you might disappoint me. That was a belief system I had created when I was younger because I was disappointed by many people. When we had this experience and you showed up in your truest form and you really heard me and you really saw me and you offered me unconditional love, not trying to fix me, not trying to fix the situation, not trying to remedy my emotions, to really just stood by my side. And I, and I think I by yours, right? We were experiencing this together, that it shifted everything because I realized how stupid of me to withhold anything from this person who can really show up so completely, authentically and unconditionally. Exactly. And I think, again, just to raise a, a point of thought for our listeners, ask yourself this question. When and in what ways are you there for your friend, for your partner, not in ways that you think they need you, Mm -hmm. and not helping in the way that you think is right, but in a way that is actually different than maybe you think, but what they need, where they are at. And that is something that is difficult to do unless you are really actively in good I mean, things are great, but certainly when things are, there are struggles, asking yourself that question. How do they need me to be there for them? Not just, am I there for them? Am I, am I going to give them my best advice or my best support? No. How and in what ways am I actively discovering how I can be there in the ways that they need, in the ways that they want? And this is great parenting advice, too, by the way, to do that for your kids. It teaches them, first of all, you're a safe place for them. You're actually the place that they will go to to speak because you're not enforcing anything. You're not impressing upon them your beliefs. You're actually hearing them. You're seeing them. You're recognizing what it is that they need. And then you're having a conversation, giving information where then they can choose to take it or not. Because after all, nobody has to accept anything we offer. Many times, I think throughout life with with most of our relationships, unless we make this shift and this conscious shift, it's not something that comes naturally because it comes from many places. We love people. We want to protect them. We're older. We have life experience. We want to help them. We think we know better. We see them hurting themselves. And I've shared this with you too. You know, I've been loved deeply by two men in my life, you and my father. And he did this for me when I was anorexic. He never questioned the obvious destruction I was doing to my body. He never belittled me. He never made me feel shame. He fully could not understand it, but he was fully and completely there for me in ways that 
I, I had never experienced. I just felt heard and seen. And from that space, I could actually heal as well. So I can't, I mean, really, this point needs to be really emphasized yeah. because it's and kind it, of everything. And it actually it reminds me of an ancient story of a great spiritual leader and sage. And he would have hours when people would come into his room and they would come with their problems, with their challenges, and he would give them advice or a blessing or support. And after a few hours of this, his attendant walks in and he sees he's sweating. And it wasn't, you know, a warm day. And he, you know, and he had just basically been sitting in his chair all day for the number of hours. So he asked his teacher, this spiritual sage, he said, Why are you sweating? And he said, Because whenever somebody comes into me for advice, sits down in that chair in front of me, I can't listen as myself. I have to take off all of my clothes, not mm. physically, <laughs> and put on theirs. I have to be, and then listen to them from who they are and give them advice and direction for who they are. Oh he says, and imagine, you know, dressing and undressing, you know, 50 <laughs> times fifty times in four hours, it'll get you sweating. But that's really the point. The point is, you know, there's a phrase in the Bible, which which is has many teachings from it, but it's, it says about Ba'asher Husham, which literally means where he is at. And that has to be our view when whenever we are in a place of helping, supporting, trying to be a friend, where are they at? Not what what do you think the right thing, but really put yourself, really put yourself to the degree that you can and be curious about how you can be there in the way that the person, your friend, your spouse, or your child, like you said, needs you to be. And why? Because if you really love them, you love them because they exist, and you appreciate just being in their orbits. You want to be able to give in any capacity that you can. By the way, and it takes more effort, right? And the point is, and patience, and yeah. if you really love somebody, you'll take the time and you'll do the effort to be there in the way that they need you to be. So I never asked you this question because oh, I, I never understood Surprising. this line um, in the movie Love Story, right? Okay. The famous line: "Love means never having to say you're sorry." Yeah, I never understood that. I so neither. I it kind of upsets me a little bit, and maybe we're going to get some letters about this, but. You know, I think it is important. Yeah, I've said many times. I think we're. In, I, I know that we're in love, and uh, I say I'm sorry. And <laughs> not I only, very, very, relatively often, but often enough for sure. And, I, and I, as a matter of fact, I think it's maybe antithetical to a spiritual life because in a spiritual life, the understanding is that there is always has to be growth. Growth comes from mistakes. So, so I think I may maybe the opposite is true. That loving love means saying you're love sorry means. Being open to say you're sorry, and again, and this actually is another important point. We actually had uh, slightly unrelated to this, but yesterday and the day before, where we were having these conversations with people on the idea of being open, right? So, one of the great gifts, if you are being able, open to hearing somebody else's opinion, well, exactly, you can call feedback. it criticism, feedback, whatever word you want to use. But the reality is that one of the great blessings of being in a true relationship is that you have somebody who knows you, and hopefully you make yourself known to them, all of your faults, all of the good and the bad. It's funny, just the other day I was listening to uh, an interview with somebody, and he was saying that often when people go to a um, to a uh, therapist, they the therapist does not meet, and often, actually, just in general, whenever you meet people, you never really meet them, you meet their representative, meaning you meet the version of them that they want they you want to you know, to which, is, which is almost always the best <laughs> version. And even often when people go to therapists, they introduce not themselves, but 
the person, their representative, the person that they want people to know. And that is certainly true. Well, they want to seem more normal than they are. Whatever, perhaps. exactly. <laughs> but but one of the ways to know whether you're in a real relationship is if you show yourself truly the good, the bad, and the ugly to your friend or, 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 or spouse, and and that they receive it without judgment, right? That's the other side of that. Otherwise, you know, therapists, you're paying, and you, they don't really care for you. Oh, well, hopefully they do care for you, right? But they, they're not in an intimate relationship, so maybe you're a little bit more, um, you know, free in showing who you are. But one of the signs of a true relationship is that both you are able and desiring to show yourself completely to your partner, and they don't judge you for that, and they are able to give you true and honest feedback. Because, and again, this goes back to, to our view, the spiritual view on life, which is, whoever I am today, and whoever you are today, you're amazing, I'm hopefully amazing, but from this point on, I need to change. I, I, I desire to change and to grow and to become an even better person. And that will not happen just by me trying, but it will help. It will happen by you helping me, by you pointing things out, which again just brings us back to the idea of being open. That, and I shared this with a group of teachers yesterday, that, that it is usually when we need to be open that we are the most closed, yes. and that we are open when we least need it. Meaning, the parts of us that really need to change, the aspects of us that need improvement, are the ones that we are often closed off to be even hearing any feedback about. And hopefully in a real relationship, and this is another question, about any relationship we are in, if you want to know if it is real, how open are you? Really open. What's define is, real? You mean unconditional? Also, or lasting? It, it should be unconditional, hopefully lasting. Yeah, but in the extreme case, if you are in a marriage, and you and your spouse or your partner will say something, and you, because you believe it's coming from a place of love, and you're not open to hear it, that's a big issue. That's a big issue for you, because it, marriage should be a project of both individually and hopefully collectively growing. That can't happen unless there's a real openness, desire to hear, especially things that we're blind to. And change them and grow from them. But a lot of relationships have a hard time getting to that place because they start from a place that's not really true and Absolutely. honest, right? Most people, like because you said, they want to show the best sides of themselves, and they meeting, think, oh, you know. Certainly, when you're dating, you're meeting the person's representative and not the person. Exactly. So to get to that place of vulnerability, it requires really being honest and know that this is the foundation of the relationship. It's whatever you're putting at. In the beginning of it. And my view of it, of everything we've said until now, and certainly this point as well, most of this is not easy to get to these places. But to make a lasting relationship takes this work. And all I'm saying is not that tomorrow, let's say you're married for five years, or one year, or ten years, to suddenly you'll suddenly both be completely open to each other. But are you working towards that, knowing that unless we achieve that, or at least elements of that, our relationship will not be one that is truly thriving and growing. Which, if I'd like to share one of my favorite um, uh, Daniel Kahneman quotes about marriage. Uh, I shared, I think it was last week or the week before, that in the studies about people's happiness in life, while they're dating, when they get married, and into their marriage, it's a very sad graph. So it's basically while they're, you know, if you ask people, you know, how, how happy are you in your life? So in that question, of course, throughout 
while dating, marriage, and five years of marriage, seven years of marriage, it basically goes up, usually during the first year of marriage, and then s- begins Marriage a slow, or dating? No, marriage, it goes up a little, uh, dating goes up a little bit, marriage goes up higher than it was pre-dating, then it begins a, uh, a slight but steady decline into year five, six, and seven of marriage, so that by year seven, people statistically say that they are less satisfied in life than they were before they started dating their spouse. Well, that's why John Gottman predicts also, but he said most couples don't see counsel until the seventh year. And by that time, it's almost too late because there's so much resentment and um, other things that have piled on over to the relationship that haven't been dealt with. And people usually only seek counsel in the seventh year, which is a big mistake. And that's why everything we're talking about, they might, you know, we often, people don't like the word, you know, working on their marriage, but working in a very positive and productive way is necessary. So well, I always say yeah. this because people confuse work with pain. So yes, it's work, it's effort. It doesn't mean it has to be painful and right. bearful. It's hard. effort and focus, right? It, yeah, exactly. just like you would work toward any goal in yeah, life but or any the most success. Fulfilling, the most yeah. fulfilling. So so after so Daniel Kahneman often says when he's talking to people and he shows that graph, there's a lot of laughter, uncomfortable laughter in the room. After all, he says, people who decide to get married do so either because they expect it will make them happier, or because they hope that making a tie permanent will maintain the present state of bliss. In the useful term introduced by Daniel Gilbert and Timothy Wilson, the decision to get married reflects for many people a massive error of effective forecasting. (laughs) (laughs) On their wedding day, the bride and the groom know that the rate of divorce is high and that the incidence of marital disappointment is even higher, but they do not believe that these statistics apply to them, which I think is the perfect truth. We never think any statistics apply to any of us about anything. But I think what we're saying is that uh, certainly what Daniel Kahneman is saying, what what, what the research has shown, shows us, that uh, on a static basis, relationships get worse over time, unless there is, as we said, this effort and focus that is put into it. And spiritual element. Yes. So, so oh, you yeah, have yeah, I have a few questions for you. Um, I have a feeling we're going to get to a few of them. But what is the biggest mistake you've seen people make in an argument? Um... Well, first of all, I want to say that I think it's important that couples fight, and I, I get worried when they don't. It's very necessary to be passionate enough to, to talk about enough. things, to care enough to have conversations that are necessary. There are going to be things that you disagree about. And fight doesn't that, mean necessarily raising your voice. But it's- right. So the biggest, though, mistake, I think, is that people don't do that. They hold their tongue. They want to keep the—I hear this all the time— um, a blissful home or a marital unity. I don't know what any of that means. If you can't have conversations about things that are important to you, to the person that's supposed to be most important to you, you're either going to swallow it, it's not going to feel very good in your body, or you're going to go speak to other people instead of the one you need to speak with. So and that resentment, exactly. And that resentment builds up. That is the number one mistake. Which, by the way, I think, again, very important point. I think every one of our listeners should ask the question, if you're in a relationship, if you, certainly if you're in a marriage, are there things that you speak about to your friends about your husband or wife that you don't speak to your husband or wife about? Or that you feel like you couldn't speak that, to your husband exactly, or wife about. That's a big red flag. That's a big red flag. Exactly. The other thing is, though, there's other people who can't hold their tongues, and they say every single thing that they are frustrated about or angry about. 
big mistake there too. The the biggest rule I would say is never go below the belt. I mean, people just need to agree on a style. And it's not that one is better than another, but they have to be the same. So if you recall, when we got married, our style was, I was- uh, A lot of punching and slapping. Yeah, okay, thanks for <laughs> lying about me. I was a yeller. Oh, I thought it was, no, no, I was a puncher. <laughs> and you would shut down, which would infuriate me. And, uh, but I think we, we came together and we decided on a style, right? And so now our style is more one where we sit down, especially if it's something that we think will be difficult for the other to receive. And we'll say, you know, there's something that I want to share. I really hope you can hear me. And that's usually when we know it's kind of more serious than, than not. And we actually take the time to listen. I think it's, that's a very important point, which is at the very least, and this is good advice always, not to be reactive, which means, again, there are times when you actually literally have to have an argument in the moment, but best, certainly if it's something important, to literally wait and take the time and to have a serious conversation about whatever it is. I was just smiling as you were talking, because I do remember every few years we have like a really, I don't want to use the word nasty, but a real, you know, a real fight. And actually, I'm entertained by, that, by those. Hardly. The, I can think the, of like I know, two. Day, yeah, but, but not I, even that. They're, they're not serious. They're not, well, they're, they're, at the time, they're slightly serious. Huh. But I think it's when we're not both the best versions of ourselves, but they are kind of entertaining. <laughs> but we do not recommend that as, as, as a uh, Interesting, Michael. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to unpack that. Um, and I think another mistake that couples make is that um, they use things against the other in That's an argument. So something that might have been said in a place of vulnerability or you know, even a weakness and to hold it against one another, there's nothing that destroys relationship more than that. In Proverbs, it says, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So these past mistakes are far too often used against the other. And really, that just slowly chips away at the relationship to a place where it never really quite goes back to how it was, like a glass that's broken, right? Um, it's shattered. You can glue it back together, but certainly it's never going to be the same. And I would, therefore, you know, caution all of us. Certainly, if you're in an important relationship, and especially if you're, well, if I was going to say, if you're talking about a delicate matter, but really, always be very mindful of things that you know, and really, you should probably keep a catalog. You know, what are the things that my friend, that my partner, is very sensitive about? And those are the ones that you speak about very, even if you have to, very delicately, and certainly never, which again, unfortunately, way too often, in relationships that are that are not in their best place, people actively bring up, mention, throw at their, I don't even want to say partner, because it's not really a partner at that point, the things that they know are the most hurtful, the most sensitive. I mean, I don't think you need a catalog. I think if you care enough, you become emotionally intelligent, right. where you know things about the partner like you would know about yourself. You're that interested, you're that curious, and you're that connected to one another. So I think it comes down to that. I think far too often people are more concerned with their own feelings and how they felt slighted rather than coming at it from a place of um, repair and really certainly growth. Or as we had a conversation with somebody the other day, right? I, I sometimes try to give the benefit of the doubt that sometimes we're mindless or... Um, Versus malice. Malice, yeah. But, but the reality is it doesn't even matter. Because if you really care about your spouse, your partner. You'll correct. You'll you auto-correct. Both correct, time. but also you'll be very mindful. I, th I think that's really what it's about. It's about having certainly arguments, but even conversations in a mindful way, in a way that really is constructive. Because again, 
let's be realistic. People have egos. And and often when you go into an argument, especially, but even in our daily lives, we're thinking about ourselves and our feelings. And often that is uh, makes it too easy to disregard things that we know can be hurtful. Well, I think because we don't feel heard, we we won't right. hear the other person, right? Well, or, or, and it can feel very isolating in a relationship when, over time, time and time again, you never feel you're heard. The other person never says sorry, let's say, and so then you never offer that to them either. And we've had this conversation not often, but where you're actively saying something hurtful because you don't feel that you're being heard. So sometimes are either to get their attention. To get their attention, you'll either do or say something that you know will get their attention in a negative way because you don't feel that they're you're being heard in a positive way. Yeah, often people don't care if they're getting a reaction that's negative or positive as long as they get some kind of reaction, right? And I think it's so important to, you know, as we talk about arguing, to make sure, which you speak about often, which is a very, very important element. I know that we uh, bring into our our post arguments to repair. Maybe the most important thing, even if you follow everything we've said about the way to argue, make sure that there is an, often not in the moment, maybe it's an hour later, maybe it's a day later, where you, not in a reactive state, speak through what was hurtful about that conversation, what was helpful, and really repair. Because unless you do that, even if you had a constructive argument, if you don't repair after that, there are cracks that are left. Well, you'll just keep foundation. bringing it into the next argument. Right. So there are 10 baseline rules for engagement, for effective fighting. The first is discuss lines that neither of you should ever cross, right? Like we just said, no hitting below the belt. And be and again, I think many couples might not even know what that list is for an list. And that's why I would strongly recommend this, even on a date, and when you're both really happy with each other. So, you know, what are the things that I have said, or in the past, in the past 15 years, or in general, are for you hurtful. Painful. But also, I think if you tell people the the parts of you that are, are still scarred from past, right? If you allow them to know your vulnerabilities, like, hey, when you say, and I've used this example often about us, right? Early in our marriage, you'd say, oh, you know, when we'd be fighting, you're like, that's just crazy. What I heard you saying was, you're crazy. Now, why was that a trigger for me? Because, And you didn't know this at the time. My biggest fear was schizophrenia because of my uncle, right? Watching that happen to him when I was a kid. Once, by the way, it took my own emotional intelligence. Once I understood why those words triggered me, right? Oh, wait, why does this upset me so much? Then I was able to articulate it to you and you were able to receive it because of where we were in our marriage, right. right? So it takes actually quite a few steps to get there, but it's completely doable. So first you need to be aware of yourself and what your hurts are past, present, and then be able to share it with the person. And the person also needs to be able to do the same. Um, the second is agree on a fighting style that works for both of you. As I said, whether you choose to vent or sit and discuss calmly, the style has to accommodate both of your needs. It's not one is better than the other. It just has to be working for both. Three, identify in advance what an acceptable outcome looks like. I think that's really important. Explain that. Explain so for instance, if you sit down and you know maybe this is a point that you just don't see eye to eye on, so you'd say, maybe we're not going to see eye to eye on this. It's just really important for me to be able to express it to you and know that you're actually considering what I'm saying. That for me would be enough, right? Let's say about a specific if thing. If you feel that I or the person really hears. Right. But my point is, it's not that after an argument, everything has to be packed up so neatly and nicely and you agree. That might not happen. It's still important, though, to be able to create a space where you can speak from your heart and feel heard. 
because then you feel valued. And maybe eventually after you have five, 10, 15 conversations like that over the years, the person eventually might see it differently or you might see things differently, right? So just, I think it's important to have, because often the expectation is, I want you to apologize after the conversation or- I want you to change behavior. Or I expect you to, right? Or I expect you to, to agree with me. So it's really important that both are very clear and maybe they're not aware of this either. That's why it's important to have the conversation. This is what I expect the outcome or I hope the outcome to be. What is it that you hope for? So that you go into it already with strikes for you instead of against you, which will ultimately lead sometimes- Can you have strikes for you? Well, maybe they're checks. I don't know, (laughs) whatever. So, because what happens is, and haven't you seen this? People are fighting about one thing and then they're fighting about something else entirely. And it's often that they just had this expectation from the conversation. And it didn't go their way. And, and they're, they're getting more up. and more angry. Right. Exactly. Um, four, assign the time of day you are most open to hearing each other. Really important. Never, ever have an argument right before bed. I mean, if you had it, don't sit in your bedroom in bed. Never do this in the bedroom where you're going to have these kind of difficult conversations and you're exhausted or you have to wake up really early in the morning, only have six hours to sleep, or you had a really trying day. It's okay to push pause and say, okay, these feelings don't feel great, but let's pick it up tomorrow morning or let's meet tomorrow for coffee or go on a date or whatever it is to discuss these things. You know, there's that quote that says, uh, what is it? Say something you mean, say something when you're really angry and you'll have, um, you'll say the thing that you regretted the most or like the biggest kind of like, it'll be the worst thing you ever said. I so, I botched that completely. It's actually quite nice. But but, but what you're saying, which I think is an important point, not just about the timing, but why are you having this argument? Why are you having this conversation? Because you want things to get better. Well, prepare for success, right? Which means environment, your state of mind, their state of mind. Make sure as to the degree that you can, and if you really care about the relationship, you will do this, that you prepare the conversation for success. Right time of day, right place, uh, state of mind, and so on. Five, avoid overreacting. Remain open enough to see your partner's perspective, which is, again, very difficult, especially when we're emotional. And that's right. By the way, it's probably, again, if controllable, not to have the argument or the conversation right when you you want to have it. You wait a day or two or three. If it's important enough after day three, as we often say, then it's worth having it, and hopefully you're less reactive. And again, this goes back to what we said before. We do have an aspect of us, we call it the ego, that is not compatible with relationships, that is not supportive of love. And that has to be fought while you're fighting in an argument, that knowing I think it's important that we realize that there's a part of me that's going to want to destroy this relationship. There is a part of me that left unchecked will do that. And if you are pushing yourself to to That's make, interesting. That's the ego sure, you're saying. Yeah, the ego, you know, called the desire to receive the self alone. There is that part of me, of each one of us. And therefore, it has to be, especially in the times when we're having an important argument, to try to check that as much as possible. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, there could be a whole other episode about why people destroy relationships or goodness in their life. Unfortunately, um, people do that all the time. Uh, six, discuss one issue at a time and be specific. This is really important. Yes. Don't use this as an opportunity to rehash the many grievances that have come up in the history of your relationship. Stick to the issue at hand, not about what happened last week or five years ago or even five minutes ago. 
Absolutely. And again, well, that, maybe it's five minutes ago, but that ego part of us is not going to want to do that. And if you want to know what is causing you to bring up what happened three months ago in this argument about what happened yesterday, it's your ego. It is not coming from the part of you that wants to nurture a positive, growing, thriving relationship. Seven, I love this one too. Avoid words like always and never. These are trigger words that escalate arguments. You always do this. You never do that, right? Just hear it. Um, and of course, that's not accurate or true. And again, as you said, if we're only talking about what happened yesterday, then what the difference does it make if I ever or never do something? Because we're talking about something that happened yesterday or whatever it is. That but happened. also, I find that, and especially with men, and I've talked about this too, that women want to become like their mothers, even though we say we don't, and boys want to be becoming to their mothers. When boys become men and they then get married, that transfers to their spouse, right? It really matters what we think. So imagine if a woman uses these kinds of words and he's thinking, wait a second, I did the dishes last night. I took out the trash three days before that. You're saying I always and never, so why bother? Because they really get um, discouraged, right? So these kinds of words make things black or white, and it never is. Eight, don't interrupt. Take turns speaking. This is a big one too. Listen actively with the intention of really hearing what the other person has to say. Most people listen with the intention to be able to get their point of view across right away without really actually hearing. And again, the ego, that part of us that does not want us to have growing and nurtured relationships, is that part of us that's going to not want to listen and only listen for something that I can use now, you know, attack. Against you, even. Exactly. exactly. Nine, be willing to compromise. We all have things that are important to us. When it's very important to your partner, see where you can be more flexible and take turns compromising. Because some things are going to matter more to one, and other times it's going to matter more to the other. And it needs to take a person that's actually both emotionally intelligent to say, okay, wait, I know this really matters to him. I could really, I don't really care about that. So, I'll be flexible for this argument. It doesn't mean that I have to let him win every kind of argument or always side with him, but just to have that kind of approach. And 10, a successful fight means you both walk away feeling heard and understood. Remember, it's not about winning. Ultimately, if you don't feel appreciated, heard, or have open lines of communication, then these petty fights that occur usually aren't what you're fighting about at all. It isn't about the remote or going to the in-laws for dinner, and it certainly isn't about the toilet seat being left up. But it's going to be difficult to get to the underlying issues unless you agree upon a fighting style and rules of engagement. Absolutely. And I think that's a very good question for every couple, every person in a relationship, to ask themselves. Last time we argued, did I or my partner really feel hurt? And unfortunately, I know in, certain, I know in many of the couples that you um, see, that's not. That's almost never the case, because an argument or a conversation, or an important conversation, is almost always about did I get my point across, not whether I listened and they listened. Did because what we're saying is that maybe one of the greatest opportunities to deepen and strengthen a relationship is when there's a disagreement, mm-hmm. and I think following these ten or at least most of these rules when we are in disagreement. The benefit is not just that we'll have better arguments with better results, actually the relationship will get better. And I think that's such a key that, you know, like you said before, we often hear from couples, oh, we never argue. And for for us, that's that's not a good sign, usually. It just means either they don't care enough or there's some greater imbalance in the relationship. There are going to be disagreements. If you if you're both 
important in the relationship and use everything and but certainly the disagreements and the arguments to strengthen the relationship and i'd like to say you know, you know i think most of the times that we've had arguments or disagreements most if not all but hopefully all we've we our relationship deepened from mm-hmm. that almost always but that was our intention right. right and that's why we do have the arguments actually so on that vein what is the worst fight you remember us having <laughs> it's funny. I don't know about the worst. I, I actually remember like two or three. But I, I was I was going to say. I think I might have talk, spoken about this. There was one like six months ago or something like that, or maybe that even. really touched on. No, you. Okay, it was so entertaining. It by was it. ridiculous. I wasn't yes, even exactly. I felt I felt very angry in the moment, but I wasn't really <laughs> angry about anything. Yeah, it wasn't. I don't. I'm trying to remember. I don't even remember what it, it wasn't was about. even about. I think you just happened to be there. <laughs> <laughs> no, and then, but yeah, yeah. So, so you do remember? Or you don't. I remember another one a number of years ago when we were living in Los Angeles. I don't remember exactly what it was about. You know what I remember most? But tell me. What were you going to say? No, no. And I just remember, it's, it's funny, and I think this is really to the point that we're talking about. My only memory, as I think back... Is, You're still going to say my answer. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, is that I, after, when we repaired, I felt greater love and vulnerability both from you and to you. And I think that's rarely what we're striving for, that, that especially the more serious arguments that we have, and even if we don't have them in the best way following these 10 rules, when we look back on them, we can actually see them as moments when our love, vulnerability grew. Yeah, I, I, my answer is pretty much the same, that I remembered how we repaired. Interesting. Um, oh, so we're on the same page, I like and, and not the fight. But I always remember the yeah how we felt after, and it's funny, I remember I remember elements of the fight. Yeah, but my emotional what I'm left memory, with, exactly, exactly. My emotional memory. High five, <laughs> buddy! <laughs> Great. So we have a lot more uh, questions that, uh, from our listeners. We haven't got. So is this to. a part two one? This is a part two one. So I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast and look forward to n- next week. We are going to uh, continue answering uh, many of your questions around relationships. As always, keep, now we've proven to you, we actually get to many more questions. So please keep sending your questions, your stories. They continue to inspire us. Really, we, we got a story this week, which hopefully I'll share next week, which was very, very inspiring. And it, um, not only does it inspire us, but I know as we share them with our listeners, uh, it inspires them as well. So continue sending your questions, comments, and stories to Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. By the way, you have a whole week now uh, to send questions specifically about relationships to Monica and Michael at Kabbalah.com. Hopefully, we'll get to many of them. And as always, we ask you to go to Apple Podcasts and write five-star reviews and share this podcast with your friends and family so that more and more people can be inspired by the words in this podcast. And as always, I hope you enjoyed. I really, by the way, really enjoyed this time we just had. So thank you. (laughs) I hope our listeners enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. Bye.